Today on the show, I'm joined by teacher and musician Benjamin Steele, and we have a nice conversation. Please continue to support the podcast by sharing it with your friends. If you know someone that you think would enjoy the podcast, please share it with them. Help me spread the word. You can also support the podcast by making a donation. Typically, I travel around giving workshops and charging a fee for this. Here I am providing this content to you for free. There are nearly 80 episodes for you to go back and listen to. All I ask is that you make a contribution. Whatever you feel that you've received from this show could be the price of a yoga class, could be more. You can donate in any currency, including Bitcoin, to help keep me out of the system. Go to the storyofmepodcast.com and on the contact page, there's a donate button. There will also be this link in the episode description. You can also go to the podcast website to submit your questions to be answered on the program. I'd love to hear from you. I'd like to tell you about Sing Flutes. These are flutes that are made by me. They're handcrafted Native American-style flutes designed for sound healing. The flutes are tuned to the frequency of 432 hertz, the harmonic intonation of nature. The fundamental note of each flute is in a key to vibrate a particular chakra. Whether you are playing for others or yourself, listening to 432 hertz music resonates inside the body. In fact, they did a medical study where they hooked people up to a brain and heart monitor and played different instruments to them. The Native American-style flute had the most impact in relaxing them. If you're a yoga teacher, it's a great instrument to incorporate into your classes. What I do is I have an app on my iPad that has the sounds of nature, and I'll put on the sounds of rain and play over this to the students at the end of the class. It's a very intuitive instrument to play. There's no musical knowledge necessary to get started. Each flute is unique since they're handmade. I put different artwork on them. I put mantras on them related to the chakras that they're tuned to. So go check them out at singflutes.com, S-I-N-G-H-F-L-U-T-E-S.com. Use the discount code, the story of me podcast and get 10% off. Okay, let's get to today's show. Beautiful am I, bountiful am I, blissful am I, why? Welcome to the show. For new listeners, my name is Amarjit Singh, and I am your host. For old listeners, welcome back. It's good to have everyone. I hope you all are doing well today. On today's program, I sit down with Benjamin Steele, and we have a very interesting conversation. Our paths have crossed uh, a few times over the last decade or so through the Kundalini yoga community, seeing him at the festival. We've had a couple conversations throughout the years, and he's an excellent musician. He's got a very authentic-sounding voice, a very warm, compassionate voice uh, you'll hear in his music. And it's interesting because the fallout that's happened within the kundalini yoga community with the news about Yogi Bhajan, leaves a lot of people, students and teachers, 
kind of unsure of which way to proceed and how to incorporate the history of what has happened into the teachings, into the life. And so many teachers have taken different approaches, and it seems that they're all still kind of trying to feel this out of what direction they should be going in. And so I came across a promotion by Benjamin about training that he's got coming up, and it was very interesting. And so I wanted to have him on the program to talk about this and how he's going to go forward with his teaching. And so we had some really nice, interesting conversations about this, about uh, his life, his vision. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this. His next training begins the end of August, and I highly recommend contacting him to get more information to learn about this. If it resonates with you, I think it would be something that you would get quite a bit from, as you can hear from our conversation. I'll put his contact information in the episode description. And going into this conversation, you'll hear a little bit of his music. So sit back, relax, do whatever you're doing, and enjoy the conversation I had with Benjamin. Welcome to the show, Benjamin. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you asking me. Yeah, I think uh, we've kind of 
run in the same circles for, I don't know, a little over maybe a decade. And we've maybe had a couple conversations at the festival throughout the years. And I've definitely enjoyed your music. And and then I I saw some training that you've been promoting uh, the last weeks or, or month or whatever you were promoting this. And it just caught my eye. It seemed very interesting, and I didn't know much about what you're working on. And so I thought it would be nice to have you come on and talk about this. Before we do, maybe we get into a little bit about your background and how you arrived at this situation in life, because it's always interesting. You know, (laughs) people think, oh, they're they're just a teacher. But, you know, if you look at the road to getting to this point, it wasn't a, a direct road many times. It, it's gone through, you know, ups and downs and, and uh, different paths and, and many things to bring you to, to the situation we find ourselves in. And so let's start out with uh, where were you born? I was originally born in uh, a place called Cardiff in okay. Wales, the capital of Wales. But from a very young age, we uh, we moved to the north of England mm-hmm. as a family, and I very quickly had to lose the Welsh accent within the space of two weeks of being there to uh, to survive, basically. Um, so yeah, I adopted the northern accent and the northern ways very quickly, and the kind of Welshnesses. Why is that? Is that accent? Is that accent not popular in in that region? N- no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> the Welsh accent is very distinct, and and uh, I instantly understood that I needed to bury it to survive. And <laughs> how old were you? Ten. Ten. I was about okay. ten, I think. Yeah, yeah. But you had a, you had a good enough ear to be able to do this to change this accent. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that kind of like that malleableness, I guess, of the the human brain at that age, where you you're able to just adapt and change and be flexible. And obviously, when I went home and I was with my parents, who are, the whole tribe is from Wales, mm-hmm. that it would kind of return, and it, it still does a little when I go to see them. But then, um. The, the northernness has disappeared as well on some level, but after spending so much time with different cultures, and um, I grew up a lot around Jamaicans, so mm-hmm. the, I adopted a lot of the, the kind of the patois and the, the Jamaican accent. Well, it's, it's interesting because I grew up in, in the east coast of the United States, like New York, New Jersey, where the people have very strong accents. I don't know if you've ever seen that TV show, The Sopranos. This was how my yeah. family sounded, basically. I mean, my father could have been on that show. And for some reason, I did I did not have this accent. And so the kids would make fun of me. They'd say, oh, say this word. And I would say it, and they would all laugh. And I didn't, like at the time, I just thought, okay, I don't know why, you know, I don't speak like them. And at about the same age as you, at 10 years old, we moved to to Arizona, where there's no accent. And thank yeah. God I never adopted that accent because, I mean, when you hear this accent, it sounds like mafia or just ignorant, uh, you know, people. Uh, but it's not necessarily true, but this is what it sounds like. But the thing that I've realized that people who have good ears and are good at languages, and I'm guessing accents also, are very good at music. 
And, you know, I went to music school and I, and one thing I realized is I'm pretty tone deaf. I, I couldn't play music by listening to it. I would have to read the music. I would have to really look at it to try to play it by ear. It was really tough. And maybe this is why I didn't adopt the first accent where I grew up. But then when I lived in Spain for seven years, I could I, my accent was so awful, I could never get a Spanish accent or even close to it. And uh, I'm sure German and all the other languages that I attempt to speak, I can never get the language. But, uh, you know, I think it has to do with the ear. And so maybe this is yeah, one thing that you right. benefited from. Yeah, when I, when I was around about 15, 16, when I first picked up a guitar, um, I would play my favorite records and I would at the time that nowadays you can go to a music shop and you can buy like a tablature book yeah, yeah. Or, or you can watch YouTube videos or whatever. But back then there wasn't any, that wasn't really around. So I literally would listen to the record and, and taught myself guitar by listening to the album and train the, the ear through mm. that. Um, and so, we, I, yeah, I'm pretty good, I would say, at different accents. I've yeah. been told that I can do different accents. Well. Yeah, so when I learned how to play the bass, I did. I would do the same thing you were talking about. I'd have a tape player, and I would rewind the tape and play it, and it would just be so difficult that I'd have to get the tablature and try to figure it out this way or, or something. Yeah, we're dealing with tapes, right? Tapes yeah. And vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you're hitting rewind and go, okay, how, how much further does it have to go back? It would just, you know. It would, it would... And it starts to wear the tape down as well. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and do you speak other languages? I don't fluently, no. No. Okay. Um, I, I understand a little bit of French, yeah. and uh, I've been attempting to to learn Portuguese whilst living here. But even the Portuguese people say it's hard. So you know you're onto a yeah. challenge when well, they're saying it's a difficult language. You should see German. The grammar in German is is incredible. When I, I lived here yeah, for three years, I lived here for three years, and I went to take uh, language classes. And I'm really, I'm, you know, Americans are bad at language, and and I'm I'm among them. You know, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> I mean, I lived in Spain for seven years, and my Spanish isn't great. But uh, I went to take German classes, and and the grammar in German is just it's, it's very difficult. I mean, the pronunciation isn't so hard because the accent, at least for English speakers, isn't so different. But the the grammar, I, I you know, I just I I can do it. So yeah, after such so, huge words as well, right? Yeah, they put yeah. words together, but it's, it's really when we got to the numbers is is what it got for me because instead of saying twenty six, you say six and twenty. And yeah. So, so I said, okay, I'm done. Uh, this is, this is <laughs> <laughs> but so you moved, you moved, uh, your family moved there, and uh, you said that you changed this accent to try to kind of fit in a little better. And then, how did things yeah. go? Um. Yeah, it was, it was an, in, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the time there and the, the, it was a, a wonderful time to grow up musically in, in England, specifically in the north of England. It was, for those that are familiar with it, it was kind of like what was called like the, the, the Manchester era, mm -hmm. where it was like the, lots of great music coming from Manchester and then it evolved into, the dance music scene of the early 90s 
so it was a tremendous time to be inspired by music and fashion mm -hmm. so I, i really i i really soaked all that up yeah. and and were you uh, focused on education how what was your at this perspective what was your your focus <laughs> well my brother is a uh is a doctor in biochemistry he, okay. and he he got straight a's in all his gcse's and a levels and, and all the way through he was an absolute you know genius um which he claims comes from his photographic memory um but i was i'm a pisces uh, my star sign is pisces mm. so i have a traditionally you know that kind of overdeveloped uh right-sided brain and so i really struggled at school i have to be honest with you that the school system in the uk didn't really nurture creativity and imagination so let's just say i i didn't go to university i went to the university of life mm. straight after my gcse's and so you started playing music around 15 16 you said yeah there was always a guitar lying around the house but when i first heard the the album by the stone roses which was mm -hmm. the band at the time that there was a, just a, a light bulb that went off and then i was i literally you know i could have slept with the guitar you know just constantly okay. playing it no and then there was this desire to be in a band and 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 to create music in that setting mm -hmm. and, and so when you finished with school what were your intentions well at the time i really wanted to be a professional footballer and it was so difficult to actually be to get spotted and seen uh so my I had this idea of to become a physiotherapist and to be a physiotherapist and then uh try and become a physio for a, a top team and then get spotted and then play for professional football. That was the idea. Mm. But um my grades weren't good enough and and uh so I, I, I didn't end up going to university. And I just kind of, yeah, like I say, I went to the University of Life and got swept up with the the music scene and the, the party scene, and and uh, some would say, you know, went astray. Uh, some would say opened the doors of perception, you know. But uh, I wouldn't change it. It was a, it was just such a tremendous, creative, exciting time. Yeah, I think it, it's. You know, what I've, I've mentioned, I think even on this podcast, but I, I mentioned many times in my life because, it, it, you know, I have a, a pretty diverse background of different careers. I used to work on Wall Street doing investment banking. I, I was a musician for a while, went to music school. I worked construction. I've done all these different things and I was a consultant. And people say, oh, you changed careers and you've done all the." And I was a stand-up comedian. And I said, yeah, no. I saw that one. I, I said, you know, it's it's not what you think about changing jobs because I was always myself in all these spots and I was always doing the same thing as expressing myself. Mm. Now, the, the thing that changed was the environment which allowed me to communicate differently, right? When I'm in Wall Street investment banking, the vocabulary I use is very different from when I was doing, 
you know, consulting or stand-up comedy or teaching yoga or whatever it is, but it's still the same yeah. forms of communication I'm accessing. And it's sa- the same characteristics and qualities that I've had to work on throughout my life. And so what I did in my own life is move from one environment to the next, whichever one allowed me to express more of myself. Because, yeah. you know, you get into one uh, environment and it's limiting to some extent. And you're saying, okay, I'm, you know, maybe in music, okay, I'm playing uh, this type of music, but maybe if I do this type of music, I feel more connected to it. I feel more complete. Or is that what it was for you? Yeah, there was there was a real sense of um, that I, I was looking for something much more than what the world was offering in in that kind of stereotypical nine to five, and and so I was in and out of jobs, trying so many different themes from you know window salesman, insurance salesman, working on the market. Uh, there, there was security guard. I. I there were so many different things that I was trying. But ultimately, the main thing that, that was strong in the core was that I wanted to, to earn a living from, from music. Mm. Um, and that, was, that always seemed such a difficult thing to do. And I explored different musical projects. Uh, but it, it ended up me just doing it on my own. I found that working with different egos uh, and different perspectives on music, it was it was really hard to to get a creative flow going. So well, I remember I was around about twenty three, and I said, "I'm just going to do it on my own. I'm going to find a way to do this on my own." And what kind of music were you playing at this moment? At that time, it was. Uh, it, it was kind of a mix of reggae and I was exploring reggae and, and drum and bass and trying to mix it together in with this, uh, the inspiration that I got from the club scene, from the house music scene. And, and I, I, I love bands like the Storm Roses and the Verve, that kind of, um, what would you call it? It, it was very out there, spacious kind of sound. Yeah, that's what I was exploring. So I created a, a CD that never really saw the light of day, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it, it, I, I listen to it now. The production's terrible, but the actual, the the feeling and the 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 structure of the music is, I, it's still amazing. Really, mm. I'm really proud of it. And so how long did you kind of pursue this by itself? I mean, it was this, you're still doing music, of course, but when did it, when did you start getting involved with yoga or, or with this? Well, this is to give it context around that time when I was creating the music, it was, I had the, my, my father was very kind. He gave me, he said, all right, son, if this is what you want to do, then go for it. And he kind of let me really sink into it. And I was living with them at the time. And uh, I went into such a deep place with it. But I was also, to be honest with you, at the time I was also smoking marijuana. um, And uh, I was exploring the teachings of uh, Don Juan and Carlos Castaneda, if anybody's kind of aware of those teachings. Um, But I was also 
wanting to have something a faith i was looking for a faith to to solidify me because i'd moved so much uh around the uk i felt like i needed roots so i found rastafari that was what really drew me towards the music itself of reggae music but also give me a sense of roots within myself and that journey at the time when i was really diving deep into the music uh there was an awakening of some kind now i don't really like to to talk about it too much because it it then gives it uh too much importance mm. uh but it but it was a what would be classically called a, a sartori so it was like a, a flash a glimpse of of the realized kind of mind the samadhi mind and it lasted about 10 seconds and then there was a part of me that then wanted to grasp it and then it it disappeared and then those 10 seconds have defined the rest of my life and now when the, this happened had you been doing any form of meditation prior to this or any type of introspection uh i'd been involved in qigong okay and I, i'd attempted to meditate but unsuccessfully and but obviously the marijuana was providing the the deep meditative state also mm-hmm. I was exploring um going through practices at the time too. And so that began the journey then of of trying to make sense of of what what I'd seen, what had occurred. And like many Buddhist monks that I've one sort of in my research over the years there's there's quite a few examples of Buddhist monks that have awakenings and then they go into like a deep depression after having these awakenings and so that's what kind of like occurred for me because I noticed my surroundings didn't really understand what had happened to me um and so I I my parents took me to the doctors and they wanted to give me prescription drugs mm-hmm. and I said no way i i will find a way to heal myself naturally and it took about 3 4 years and then the story goes that my my brother bought me a book called uh, meditation as medicine mm-hmm. you must probably know this book by yeah uh, i think i think it's dr dharma singh yeah yeah from i think he's from tucson arizona yeah yeah, yeah. and he bought me that for christmas just out the blue you know my brother's not inclined to that kind of thing at all but mm. here we are he, he's bringing me this book for christmas and i remember trying sadashin chakrakriya mm. and i had such a a strong movement of of tapas inside the body that it really frightened me it was so strong and i'd only maybe done it for 2 minutes Mm-hmm. and so i said okay you need to you need to find a teacher for this because i could obviously feel it was powerful and but i need a guide and that yeah. led me to uh gurudaram gurudaram singh and mm-hmm. daryl o'keef from from i sky yeah it, it's it's interesting you know in our society 
we look at depression as an illness. And, mm. you know, we know, okay, of course, there's there's depression that's caused by a head trauma. We know this from American football. This happens a lot. Yeah. And there there's this type of depression. But the typical everyday depression is not an illness. It's a growing pain. And like you experienced, it's a matter of realizing that your ego, which is just a collection of thoughts that you identify with, no longer works for the life because of something. You know, you lose your job, you lose a relationship, or you have an insight like you have, and then you realize, okay, the way I thought about myself in relationship to this world is no longer working. And you start to to lose this identification, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a growth process. It's just like a baby who, when they start to get teeth, it's very painful for them. But once those teeth come in, they're able to eat and digest different types of food. They're more open to eating more types of food. The same thing with the, the depression. It's a matter of letting go of the ego of how you look at yourself so you can have a wider range of experience. Because the closed version that you're having of yourself or interpretation is no longer working. And unfortunately, we don't teach this to people. We say, well, you need some drugs. You know, I had a similar incident to you. They, they said, oh, you're depressed. I said, of course I am depressed. You know, I was going through a lot of changes. And they said, well, we could get you on some medication. I said, that's not what I need. I need to change the, the way I look at my life. I need to change the way I'm interacting with myself. And, and I need to understand what this, this depression is trying to, to tell me. Yeah, because I mean the 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 deepest depression I ever got in lasted a good year, and it just felt like I was dying inside. And this is what really got me started into Buddhism, because I just started reading Buddhism and I I read, you know, about this idea of impermanence. Nothing is going to happen again, so enjoy the moment, even the difficult ones. And I just said, okay. I'm going to enjoy this depression instead of trying to escape it, you know, <laughs> which is causing all the suffering because I'm waking up and thinking I want this to end. Or I, I remember when things were good in my life is to just enjoy the moment that you're in and say, this will never happen again. So try to enjoy it. And, and that's what I literally did is I would be there and just inside feeling really bad, but say, okay, I'm enjoying this. How do I enjoy this? How do I just appreciate this without trying to escape? Because this is the big I'll problem. On some level, I think that was naturally happening to me. Yeah, you know, I want I, I wanted to explore it. I recall a time where to to help me cry, and I was listening to "What's Going On" by Marvin Gaye mm -hmm. on 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 repeat, and my mother was worried. She was like, "Why do you keep listening to this?" And I said, "I don't know. It just makes it just makes me feel better to yeah. hear." Because if anyone's heard that song, that album, you know, it's like this outpouring of what the dysfunctionality of humanity. Yeah, um, of his life. <laughs> yeah, and and it was it it was just so, that was an album that just got me through it, and I yeah. would sing, I would just sing along with him every day. <laughs> yeah, well, singing. I mean, singing or chanting is a great way to release emotion. Right. I mean, this yeah. is one of the best ways to to release emotion is whenever you're feeling sad. If you can't sing, just chant. You know, that's what I do. I, I can't sing so well, but uh, I can chant. <laughs> Amen. And, and so, so it's interesting. You know, the, 
I think we need to find, especially the way things are going today, I, I forget what the numbers are of the amount of kids who are on these psychotropic drugs for depression and and all this type of stuff. But if we really had a honest look at what this depression really is, you know, and, and taught people the tools to how to understand it, this world would be such a different place. Yeah. You know, because what's going on today is really a projection of all the suffering, the internal suffering that people are going through. And so, yeah. so you arrived at this point, then that you you got this book and you were getting into that, and where did this lead you? That led me to signing up for a teacher training. Um, and at the time, I was living in Manchester, and mm. there was no there was no Kundalini over teachers back then in 2004, 2005. Okay. So I, I was, okay, I'm going to just go on a teacher training. And I'd, I'd never done a yoga class before. So I signed up to the teacher training. And I remember getting there and, you know, there must have been about 30 people. And at the time, it was in a, a big bar in this beautiful setting in, in the English countryside called Afton Court. And uh, I remember going in for Sartner at five o'clock and Guru Down was, you know, dressed in the full regalia of the turban and the whites and tuning in with the Adi Mantra. And I remember thinking, what's going on? You know, <laughs> what is going on? What have I signed up for? Did, did you did you pick uh, Kundalini yoga teacher training for any specific reason, or was it just the only yoga teacher training that was uh, there? Well, it, it, no, well, it was because of the book. I'd had that mm -hmm. such that strong experience from the mm -hmm. Sadash and Chakrakriya, and I was like, "This is it." And then when I opened uh, um, the website for Sky, and I saw Guru Dharam and Daryl, there was just a, an instant resonance with them, and so I just dived in. And then within the first weekend of the training, I just knew that this was the best decision of my life because for the first time in four or five years, I'd found people where I could talk about the subtleties of, of energy moving, of, of, of chakras, of all that kind of stuff that I'd, I'd researched in different books about what had happened to me. And that was... That was the biggest healing for me, was being able to talk about it, people not ignore you. Um, and, you know, like Buddha says, Buddha says that, you know, you have the, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, and the most important thing is the Sangha. Mm. And I really found that out to be true. It was a, the, the most healing part of the journey. Yes, I had the yoga and the teachers and the path, but it was the community that, that healed me. Well, that must have been pretty intense to go from never doing yoga to the teacher training. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, I was doing classes for a little while before I did that. I, I think that would have been really yeah. intense. Yeah, I've always had this kind of like really courageous approach to life, just jump mm. in kind of thing. And, and at the time, were you still playing music and in bands or, or playing? What were you doing? At the at the time, the, the DJing that I'd been involved in had kind of dissipated and I was back on the, the guitar um, and I was singing, but I was very, very shy. 
And I don't, you must have met Moshik before. Remember Moshik? He used to work at the yoga festival a lot. He was the sound engineer. I'm um, sure I, I've met him. I yeah, you'll remember. know him. Beautiful yeah. guy. Yeah. And he, he was on my teacher training and he was, um, for, for a decade or more, he was a sound engineer. So right from the off, we, he pulled all the musicians together and, and we start, we created a, a morning satha. So through the entire course, we, we created this real strong musical bond, which he then recorded at the end of the course. So at the beginning of the course, I was shy and hiding, but then mm. by the end of it, you know, you, you couldn't shut me up. Yeah. <laughs> I was on the rooftop. And, and so then this was a big turning point then in your life as far yeah. as music, as, part, as far as really connecting to what you were experiencing and not understanding, but now having some context for it. Yeah. And so what was the, the next step? How did this progress for you? Um, again, it was Moshik uh, connected with me and said that he wanted to create like a compilation album. And he had artists like uh, Mirabai, and um, Shuli Subaya, various other artists. And he asked me if I wanted to, to offer something. So I did the, the shlok, the Pavana Guru Panipita. Mm. I did a, a simple acoustic version of that. And when we then brought it to the yoga festival, um, it, it just seemed to touch people's hearts. And, and then lots of people were coming up to me saying, Oh, is that you singing? And then it kind of reinforced in me, oh, okay, people are enjoying this. People are being touched by this. Maybe you should explore this more. So I did. That was kind of like how I, it, it unfolded. It wasn't, it was very natural, very just kind mm -hmm. of unfolded. And, and as this was progressing or unfolding, was your personal life changing as well? I mean, or was this the same? How how was this? Yeah, the the friends were falling away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Seeming friends, you most probably know this kind of time. Yeah, where it was just you kind of go through a little bit of an evangelical period, I guess, when you first discover new teachings and. And I, I just knew that this was what I'd been looking for. And so the whole community of, of the Kundalini Yoga community was, was my family. Yeah. And then I, yeah. I had a few friends from my past, mm -hmm. but not many. They, they, they lingered, the strong yeah, bonds. I, I remember when I first started even just taking yoga classes and telling some friends, yeah, I'm doing yoga. And they would say, isn't that like a cult? I know it's just yoga, mm. <laughs> you know, not yeah. even knowing what type of yoga it was. It could have been happening. They just said, why are you doing yoga? What does that do? I mean, this was maybe a little while now. It's on yoga's on every corner. And so it's a little more mainstream yeah. and popular. But uh, yeah, I remember living in Spain, doing my teacher training. And I was talking about this with someone the other day is, you know, on, on the teacher training, you go early in the morning on Sunday morning for the sadhana. And I'd be leaving all dressed in white from my apartment, and outside of my apartment was a, a line going into a bar still from the night before, with all these people all dressed in black drinking, and, and you know, so what a what a contrast! It was really funny. 
Yeah, I resonate, I resonate with that. Yeah, because you say, okay, that was me. How how long ago, you know, doing this, and and uh, and the energy just starts to gradually change, and and yeah, some of the friends uh, fall off, some stay. Uh, but it's it, it's it's quite interesting to to witness in relationship to your life your own growth. Yeah, you know, into the the even the job when I first started really getting serious about yoga, I think I was just uh, teaching English. And but I saw even just a change in that. I'd go into the classes and I'd be happy, you know, instead of thinking, when am I getting out of here? I need to go. These people are getting on my nerves or whatever it is. Just your outlook starts to change. Yeah. And I I'd I'd let the, the alcohol go at a very young age. That was something that I knew very quickly that it wasn't something that I was interested in on any level. Um, and as soon as the Kundalini Yoga started, then the, the marijuana just fell away. Mm -hmm. And I think that came about from my teacher saying, you know, this isn't something that you should really be. It's either one or the other. So it was, it was the practice. Yeah, for me, I remember the first day of the teacher training, they passed out this form. It said, okay, yoga teacher doesn't drink alcohol, doesn't smoke cigarettes, doesn't drink caffeine. And so it said all the stuff. I said, okay, it's a one-year training, uh, the way it was broken up. I'm going yeah. to do it for one year, and I'll follow this for one year. If I don't like it, I'll go back to whatever I was doing before. And the most difficult thing for me to stop was the caffeine. You know, I was living in Spain, and the coffee in Spain was so good, I would drink like five cups a day, and it tasted so good. And when I stopped drinking caffeine, I would get such deep uh, caffeine withdrawals. I'd get headaches where I'd almost throw up for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And I said, okay, if this is what it's doing to my brain, there's, this is not good. And so that was that was the thing that I really... Uh, had to to take some time to let go because it, it I would get such bad headaches I I you know about halfway through the day I have to sleep because my headache would be like just pounding. And, I was uh, fortunate the coffee never. never oh, I love the it. taste it of felt, never felt good for my body somehow. Yeah, I love the taste of it, and now once in a while I'll drink decaf just to get the taste uh, when I come <laughs> to to the west. But uh, yeah, I stayed off the caffeine. I, I I said, okay, I can't, I can't do that. And I started to have better energy. I slept better. I had better energy. Yeah. So I said, okay, why, why would I go back to this? It was round about that time as well when, um, just prior to starting the the Kundalini Yoga practice and the journey, I'd met this uh, Buddhist master that gave me this particular blessing. And their lineage was was all around uh, vegetarian food with no onion and garlic. Mm. So uh, when I saw the array of food that they had cooked, and it was so delicious and so easy, I thought, you know, I could do that. I uh, this looks. I could cook that, and this is. Mm. I felt like that this was the next step. So I remember going to. For those who know Manchester, there's a place called the Curry Mile. Mm. It's a mile full of curry houses in in the middle of Manchester. Wow! And I w went to our favourite um, kebab house, and I went there with my my African friend Seb. And I went in and I ordered the the biggest kebab that you could possibly think of, and piled high with 
with the whole array that was there and I ate it. And then I, the last morsel, I said, I turned to my friend and I said, that's it. No more. And I've, I've not touched, not touched meat since. And, uh, that in hindsight, it was most probably the wrong thing to do because my body was so used to eating me and I didn't educate myself about how to replace, you know, the yang energy that the meat mm. was supplying with something else. And so there was a bit of a transition of, of yes, I was eating healthy, but the body wasn't as healthy as it should have been. But through re-education, I've, yeah. I've understood now. And so then you finished the teacher training and and what happened after this there was a period where where it was it was like a like just sinking in it was taking time for me to to take the courage to fully step into the role and manchester was if anybody knows manchester it's it's a very dark city it has a very dark undertone of of energy um going back to the the cotton era where it was like the leading um city in the world that supplied cotton to the world and and it just has this kind of very dark undercurrent from the certain things that have happened that don't need to go into right now but there's a darkness there and so where am I going with this? What was remind me again? What so, was so <laughs> we're talking about when yeah. you finished the teacher training. Where did the path? Yeah, that was take it. There? That was it. It was it was difficult. I was finding it very difficult for people to come to the classes in in Manchester. No matter how I tried, the language I was using or changing it, it didn't seem to work. Um, but it wasn't. A, it was about two thousand and nine where. I took on the practice of, of Nabi Kriya. So for those mm-hmm. who know that particular Kriya, I did it for like two years straight. And that just changed everything. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I had a house in Manchester, and I knew that if I wanted to follow this path of the teacher, that I had to let everything go. I had to start again and start afresh. Because I was weighed down by all these kind of bills and mortgage, and so I filed for bankruptcy out of choice um, because I was really struggling to, to to make my way in 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 the city. I didn't want to go to a you know a kind of a job in Babylon. You know, I just mm. wanted to I wanted to teach. I wanted to be this this presence that I was experiencing. So I filed for bankruptcy and I let everything go and I started again. And then that led to led to becoming a, a trainer. Okay. And so you've been a trainer then for, for quite some time, right? Yeah. Since I think it was around about 2011, 2012 when I started on that. And so, so this was through Kundalini Yoga uh, teacher training you're, you're doing this? Right with the, the yeah, you go through what's called at the time it was called the Aquarian Academy. Mm-hmm. You go through the steps and become a a lead trainer, as it, as they describe it as. 
And so now this brings us to maybe the the training that I saw you're promoting, which it yeah. seems seems different in in the respect, uh, at least in, in in the way you articulate it, is very different than the Kundalini te- Kundalini teacher training. So yeah. maybe we can talk about this. Yeah, sure. So we you start out by saying this is the I think you called it the su. Zudharam, Zudharma vision. So it's pronounced. It's pronounced Shud, Shudama. Shudama. So sh, the it, Z is a sh. And where does this come from? This word. I know Dharma, but where does uh, the Shud? The the Shud Shudha, which is spelled Z U D H A, means to to cleanse, to purify, to to make right. And so, okay. after all the the confirmed allegations against Mister Bajan. I wanted to make a clear, definitive draw in the line mm. and say, okay, this is, I'm now presenting the teachings through this form called Benjamin in presenting it in this form. Okay. It was really important for me to go through uh, a healing process with that and, and not be involved in the same way that I had before. And then present it in the in in this in the shudder way, something that is uh, attempting to purify what what has gone. Is this taking your own teachings, or is it taking some of what you've already learned from this, or what what is this uh, training well, that you're developing consist of? Well, to give it more context, I went to a I was went on a retreat with. You most probably know the, the gentleman Muji. I went on a yeah, retreat with Muji mm-hmm. in 2013. Mm-hmm. And I came over to Portugal to spend time with him in Satsang. And then it very strongly arose in my heart to, to move here. So I moved here and my partner came over too with her, with her daughter. And we've, we've made a life here. We, we tried to to live close to Muji where, where he is in the, in the area called Alentejo. But because of the, the door, our daughter, it didn't really work out. She needed more an environment with school. So mm-hmm. we moved away and we ended up meeting Gangamira. So I don't know whether you know Gangamira yeah, is. Who's this? Gangamira was Papa G's partner. Oh, the, the blonde, blonde hair woman. Yeah. Okay. I've, I, I've, uh, yeah, I've seen her in India before. So, um, this is kind of the, and I noticed, I watched your video, your earlier podcast about Advaita Vedanta, and that yeah, yeah. strongly, inf- strongly influenced the way I present the teachings, the way mm. I present it in a format of. Yeah, the, the self-inquiry, the deep confirmation of yourself as that unchanging awareness. And there's always going to be a sense of the body is always becoming something because that's how it is. That's how it organically grows. It's either growing growing up from a teenage or it's growing into a old age or maturity. So it's always becoming something but the beingness is the background of that it plays out upon. 
And so I tried to deliver the teachings with a continual reminder of that as the basis, as the foundation. Mm-hmm. So that that strongly influenced uh, the the Shuddhama vision, and so and inspired it. And so this teach this training that you're creating now. So you, you said I think you were creating a, a training that was focused on these aspects of transformation and an aspect of also consistency or discipline or or yeah. at least focusing on on maintaining the practice yeah Uh, i've noticed go on carry on no i was just going to say i think you even mentioned that in in your your promotion of this is that you know many people go through some training and they do it for a while and then they revert back to their old habits yeah yeah so it's strongly based in the the japanese principle of, of kaizen which is which translates as good change and creating a habits that that influence the becoming mm-hmm. so we, we we recognize our natural state of of being that is unchanging but we can still influence the becoming mm-hmm. and so we influence that with with kaizen by building good habits okay. um and so that's something that once you understand how habits are formed and habits must be formed slowly and, and gently and compassionately. They're not, they can't be forced. They can't be kind of driven into the body, into the nervous system. They must be, it must be done with, with compassion and care. But that, that is the discipline. And mm-hmm. if you can understand discipline can be actually really quite loving and caring and not this kind of scary word that makes it sound like it's you know like yourself flagellating yourself yeah. then it gives a different perspective well That's what you know I'm attempting to do yeah, I, I agree i agree uh, perfectly with what you said in fact you know in some of my uh, writing I, I talked about discipline and how discipline is really the wrong focus because what is discipline it, it's it's trying to take one tendency and change it to another tendency it's a, a confrontation between two tendencies and yeah. If you think about discipline, why do you only need discipline to do things that are uh, healthy, right? You don't need discipline to do something bad for you, but you need discipline to do something that's good for you. And why is that? And it goes through what you're saying is about this kindness, because discipline is really just a proxy fight. The true battle is self-love. Because if you love yourself, how can you harm yourself? You don't need discipline if you love yourself. The problem is, if you look at all the areas where you need discipline, it's because the self-love is missing, the compassion for the self like you speak of. Because if this weren't the case, then you would need discipline to do things that are bad for you. And there's not one thing that's bad for you that you would need discipline to do. And I look at my own habits, you know, before doing yoga and and, uh, and living this lifestyle. Yeah, you're drinking Coca-Cola and you're eating these bad food. And it doesn't take any discipline to stop. You just go to yourself and go, do I want to harm myself? Because I know how it's going to make me feel if I do this, if I smoke this or drink this or whatever it is. You know, if you're doing it every day, it's hard to see the subtle effects it has on you. But if you go through, you know, three months of being clean and all your habits, and then you take one of these habits, like you drink a Coca-Cola or you uh, drink some alcohol, 
and see how you feel. And you recognize that, wow, you're harming yourself. And the problem is, when we talk about discipline, it's that you either don't understand cause and effect and your, uh, your mind is not subtle enough to recognize it, and also that you don't love yourself. And, and this is why people have difficulty uh, maintaining these habits like you're talking about is really it's the compassion for the self. It's that, yeah. you know, the person has to want to not harm themselves. It's a love for the self. Yeah. Love for the unchanging awareness that the background, the, the canvas of being. And I always resonated strongly because I love Shaolin Gong Fu and Qigong, mm. and I, I like to engage with that. And I love the one of the Shaolin monks said, you know, the, there's two regrets that you can have in your life. One is that you don't discipline yourself, and then therefore, at some point in your life, uh, fate or karma will come back round and will will give you a situation where either you become unwell or something else. And, and then you're full of this regret of, wow, if, if I'd only took action back then or when I knew uh, that arose or um, that training was happening. or And so instead you take the option of you put yourself under the pressure of discipline. And if you compare the pain of the two, pain of regret is just more is overwhelmingly bigger mm. than the, the pain of, of putting you consciously through the, the discipline of right. of whatever it is and the, you know that can come in different forms so obviously for a woman it, it needs to be in a way that sometimes of the month where you can be really you know really strong and warrior-like but then mm. obviously as the cycle comes there needs to be that respect and, and an uh, aligning to the the natural flow of of the moon cycle and but there still be the discipline doesn't need to disappear because it just evolves into a softer discipline mm. um and i love this word where the actual word discipline comes from it comes from three words. It comes from, so you have the word disc, which is a, a circular, like um, representing almost like the, the wheel of life going round and round, mm. which represents the, the right side of the brain. And then the left side of the brain is line. So it's a, the linear. It's something that, you know, mathematical and structured, the left side of the brain. And then it comes from the greek word which means horse which is in in greek mythology is it's a symbol of tremendous power so it's saying the power of yourself is found in accessing both the linear and the cyclical imaginative mm. aspect of the brain and bringing it together Not yeah, one is more powerful than the other and both need to come together yeah, that's nice. I like that. Often, they're not even aware of their habit patterns that are harming them, you know, especially yeah. when you're in the beginning of this path. But if you just look at everything you're doing as, is this harming myself or helping myself? You know, from what you're consuming, from what how you're speaking to people, to whatever it is, and say, okay, if I'm doing this and it's harming myself, why am I doing that? And how do I stop doing that? 
And that's that's the the beginning of this discipline. I I, I like the word more of the compassion. How do I have more compassion yeah. for myself and to embrace myself instead of condemn myself? Because, you know, I, I do the Vipassana meditation. I don't know if you've ever done these retreats. Yeah. And you've done this before. It's, I haven't, no, but I've I've engaged in the, the Vipassana outside of the and of so, those 10-day retreats. The first uh, third of the retreat, you're doing what they call the Anapana meditation to prepare you for the Vipassana. And Vipassana just means to see things for how they are, not how they appear to be, which I love. And and the Anapana is really the, the disciplining of the mind. And so what you're doing is you're training your mind to be disciplined. And the way you do this is to focus on the breath going in and out the nose. And don't focus on any sensations or anything else in the body, just this little square little area beneath the nose, mm. trying to feel the air going in and out and, and keeping holding your concentration on this for every breath, not trying to control the breath, allowing it to go, but focusing on it. Mm. And then what the mind does is after 20 seconds or 30 seconds, it starts to wander. And then you bring it back. And then uh, again, 30 seconds later, it wanders. And then when it wanders, you don't even recognize that your mind has wandered until after about a minute into some thought. You go, oh, wait, I forgot my breath. And they tell you, okay, when this happens, it's okay. Let, allow it to happen. But just gently bring your mind back to the breath. And what you're trying to do is build up this concentration by holding the mind on that breath for as long as you can. And for some people, it starts out at a minute without daydreaming, without being distracted. Yeah. Or you build up and build up. But if you do this in your heart on yourself and you say, God darn it, again, I'm thinking about something else, it, it doesn't help. You have to just laugh at yourself. Okay, I see my monkey mind is is uh, thinking of this and bring it back. And you just keep doing this and it's this this dance. And eventually... It's that compassionate discipline. Isn't yeah. It? And the other aspect of it, when what I liked about what you're talking about is this kind of you know, people say, okay, I'm going to do yoga or I'm going to the gym or I'm going to eat this way. And, and they start to do it and something happens in their life and they, they go away from it. You know, they lose that momentum because of some trauma in the life or just some laziness or whatever. And then they have that regret that you talk about, oh, I was doing better before. And and soon as you know it, they're condemning themselves. They're not living in the moment they're focused on how they wish they could be or how they were before when they were doing this. And one thing, you know, the the Gwenka is the guy who who started all these Vipassana meditation centers would say, continuity is the way to success. No matter how many times you fall, just bring it back, just like the breath. No matter how many times you're distracted, it's okay. Bring it back and stop condemning yourself. Stop uh, you know, traumatizing yourself, stop trying to think about how good you were before, how good you can be in the future, and just focus <laughs> on that moment. And, and that's the thing, no matter what you're doing, if it's starting a business, if it's starting some project, just do a little each day. And that continu that, that yeah. continuous momentum is eventually going to, to you're eventually going to succeed. When we say eventually, it may not be in this lifetime, it may not be in a in hundred lifetimes, but you're you're walking that path. And and so this is what yeah, drew me to what you were talking about is about how do yeah. how do we stay uh, focused on our path? Maybe uh, the feedback that I've been getting from certain people is that they they've had that discipline and they've lost it and now they're trying to regain it. So 
the idea is that we come together as one mm -hmm. and, and I it's naturally there for me you know this discipline life it, it's going to be like this for the rest of my days that I've, I accept that mm. so I hold the space for that and then people can kind of come and join that that discipline and then hopefully start to regain the the sense of of gaining that natural compassionate commitment and then then they can go off after the process and and continue with that having a deeper understanding but also can just jump back in whether whenever they need the inspiration because i'll still be there at five o'clock in the morning every day you know that's not going to change and I think this is, you know, you talk about a lot of people are looking for this this focus, this discipline, I think, especially after the last two years where many lifestyles were uprooted and, and what was uh, once a, a society that you could kind of count on, okay, this is going to happen this year and this is going to, now no one knows. Who knows they're going to lock you up, they're going to, you know, do this or do that. Yeah. And, and so this uncertainty, I think, is affecting a lot of people. And we see this in how people are reacting to problems in their life. I mean, I see on the street people, you see this in the U.S. with all these uh, people videotaping and put on YouTube or something where people are freaking yeah. out in a store or something like this. I'm seeing this even in Germany. I've had some experiences with people just like for little things. And I just look at them and go, wow. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. for it. In the UK, obviously, I'm not living there now, but the UK, it kind of all started with Brexit. Yeah. Because Brexit was such a huge shift in, oh, okay, what, what's happening? This, what, I, how I, what I knew the UK to be is now on very unsteady ground. Yeah. And on, and on some level, um, what is happening, as you perfectly described it, everything is unknown. Mm -hmm. No one really knows what, it, and and I find that to be a beautiful place to be in, because that is the the impermanence that you you talk about, it, mm -hmm. where you you become comfortable in not knowing what is comes next. Yeah, and being it, at peace with that. It, it's interesting because this is something over the last couple of years, even myself. I, there's there's a battle going on with within me. Is you know I. I understand economics quite well. I went to school for this and, and I, I see what's going on and, and there, there's a, a balance, I guess, that, that needs to happen where you have a third of the population who believes all the propaganda and they just go along with whatever they hear on, on the news and what the government tells them to do. There's about a third of the population that understands it's propaganda, but they just go along with it because they don't want to disrupt their life. And then there's a third of the, the group who understands what's going on and they try to resist. And it's interesting because I almost have more contempt for the people who understand what's going on but still go along with it because they don't want to disrupt their, their quiet life or their peaceful life or their, their secure life more than I have contempt for the people who don't know what's going on. Because I, I, and I, I think... There has to be some, you know, because I talk about the details of what's going on. If we, if you know, I'm not going to do it here, but if you really get into the economics, it's 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 quite interesting. And many people 
including a lot of yogis, just want to ignore it. And I go, okay, well, is there, there has to be some balance because if you just stick your head in the sand, what, what are you really doing? You know, but if you're aware of what's going on, you say, okay, I see what's going on. I don't want to participate in this. How do I create a lifestyle outside, outside of this? Or how do I educate enlightened people to understand what is really happening? And I find many people just saying, oh, I don't want to talk about this. It's negative. You go, well, then let's talk about it in a constructive way. What are some things that can be yeah. done? Because, in, and I said, I mean, if we get into it, the, the mask thing is a silly thing. Okay, they don't work. They do work. But it's not anyone's uh, position to tell you what you need to do, what you not, not need to do. What is your requirement? And if you're not resisting simple things like this, what happens when the things get more difficult to resist? And, and so this is one thing that I, I kind of have this mentality. And I, I think if we look throughout history, it's the same way. You look at, you know, Hitler and, the, and how this, this turned into these concentration camps. At what point did yeah. people have to say, okay, I'm not going to participate? And then at what point was it too late? And because of the way society is, designed with the technology and all these things, it's making it uh, develop faster and faster, where there's going to be a point where it's going to be too late. And we're getting very close to this. You see what's going on with the farming industry. You know, can we depend on the farmers in the Netherlands to stop this? We, you know, and so at what point do you stop saying, I don't want to talk about this and, and learn how to incorporate this in your life in some positive way? And so this is kind of this balance that I, I I think needs to be found somewhere. Yeah, it's it's a very deep and um, difficult topic. Uh, I feel that we need possibly more individuals who are in the limelight, mm. you know, who have positions of power. So I, that's why I resonated so much with the tennis player um, Djokovic. Yeah, yeah, this is great. Out, yeah, and for me, for me, that was like a Muhammad Ali moment. And if you, for for those of you that don't know who Muhammad yeah. Ali was, you know this famous civil rights world championship boxer. But the, he stood up in that time of the sixties where he was a complete. He was on his own. He mm -hmm. was complete. Well, he wasn't completely on his own, but he had people backing him up. But the 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 majority of people were so against him and he, it was such a difficult time for him. Um, but he was willing to give up everything. Yeah. And he did. He gave up his world title. He gave up his, his, his earning capacity. Um, he, he gave up his ability to fight. And so, you know, fast forward to, to now when you have Djokovic saying when he's on the edge of becoming the, you know, the greatest tennis player to ever lived by winning more Grand Slams than, mm. than anybody else. And he's willing to give it up for standing in his truth. And that, I feel that that's, that's a, a good place to start if you've got individuals that are willing to stand up like that. And then more people then have the courage to, to stand up and say certain things. Yeah, I I, I have a lot of respect for someone who puts their idea or their 
beliefs before money, before yeah. uh, this type of thing, which is very rare in in, in this uh, society. And but you know, I, I do see a lot of people, and this is what, what was really interesting for me is to see how many of the the people in the yoga community reacted to to this, because you know you start to get on. This idea that okay, people are yogis like freedom. They like to to be free. They don't like to impose their beliefs. And and I found this to not be quite not accurate. Be the case, yeah. yeah. And I I was really shocked how many because I I came out and spoke quite quite a, a bit about this. In fact, I I was the first one of the first ones in in February of 2020 before any idea of a lockdown coming saying. They're telling you wrong. What's what they're telling you is wrong. I did the calculations. They're they're wrong. What they're telling you, and and I got condemned by so. I, I mean, I, I lost hundreds and hundreds of uh, Facebook friends from from this, and I was really surprised how many people, so called yogis and stuff, really just either stuck their head head in the sense that oh, I don't want to think about that or I don't want to talk about that. And then how many, you know, said, okay, let's look for people who are aligning their beliefs with their actions and and uh, yeah. and, and living this way. Because, you know, I, I'm, I'm this way. I, I do what I believe. If you want to put uh, put me in jail or do whatever for doing what I believe, go ahead and do it. I'm not going to, to yeah. bow down to this irrational, irrational behavior. For me, it, it's a case of um, I'm... I'm not sticking my head in the sand, but I'm definitely wanting to make a very conscious, considered response. Yeah, that is that is that is very grounded in a sense of of uh, the deepest values of of what it is I have, and taking the evidence, absorbing the evidence that's coming. Um, it's such a difficult scenario, especially with the social media, where you know when you do put something out and i i very rarely post mm -hmm. frivolous things on facebook um, the other day i put something up which was quite humorous and people kind of enjoyed about chuck norris mm -hmm. chuck norris when chuck norris does yoga the sun salutes him <laughs> so it was it was just a bit of fun but yeah. i ended up putting something up during the pandemic with the masks and i I was shocked by the response yeah. that came in. And I actually, at the time, it was, um, without going into it too deeply, I, was, I had COVID at the very beginning of the mm. lockdown, and it was, uh, it was a very difficult time. So when, when I was actually receiving the responses, my body was like, you know what? Right now, you you just need to heal and not start getting drawn into this yeah. dynamic with with whether the masks are right or wrong or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I had some people saying that I should be um, I should be creating a better example because I'm a teacher. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, which, I got which I thought was interesting. Well, it, it it's know. it was you know what I realized is is more about. The way people communicate than their 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 ideas. Like when I when I started to say, okay, let's let's look at this. I come from, I have a master's degree in finance and economics. You know, I have a very uh, 
kind of logical mind. I study philosophy, and I love logic. I love the Socratic method of analyzing things. And and so I said, okay, let's look at this. I want to look at the facts. And so I look at the numbers and the graphs and all, and I and I present it, you know, thinking, you know, here I am. I'm someone. If you don't believe something, I'm going to try to to do my best and show you the information and so I could understand why you don't believe it and why maybe I'm if I'm wrong, tell me I want to know if I'm wrong. This is how I try to approach it. And so I would present this information and someone who I, I don't even recognize the name on the first comment is, oh, I always thought you were smart. What's happened? You know, or like this type of stuff. You know, I thought better of you. And and I wrote to that person and I said, listen, it's one thing to disagree with anything I said, but what you're trying to do is to emotionally manipulate me. You're trying to make me feel bad. That Oh, she said, I disappointed her. I said, I don't even know who you are. And I go, maybe you listened to my podcast. Maybe you came to one of my trainings. I, I don't know who you are. And I'm not going to try to, I, I'm not going to accept any emotional manipulation from anyone. You know, trying to make me feel bad for saying something. If you want to dispute a fact, I said, I'm open to it. And I started to see the pattern that the people who are against what I said, the first thing they did is try to insult me. I th- just like you were saying what they did with you. I thought better of you or, oh, you're disappointing me. It's like, oh, uh, my life isn't about, you know, not disappointing you. I don't know who you are. And this is just emotional manipulation. This is not the proper way. So I started getting into how we communicate. And I, I wrote a big article about communication and, and the proper way to communicate. And this is a big issue with all this. It's all through this this miscommunication is, is you know, trying to not understand truth, but to manipulate people to believe what you're saying and to manipulate people how they feel. We do this in relationships. We yeah. do this in and this is the big issue. And I saw a lot of this and, and it was really and after this I, I'm I'm pretty much off of social media, which really hurts much of my promotion of workshops and this type of thing. But I I if I can't do it without that, I, I can't participate anymore. It's it's so I find it amusing in in that people have opinions, but it's just an opinion. Yeah. You know, having an opinion is okay. It's an mm. expression of the self. It's an expression of, of that, you know, that unchanging awareness that then comes into form. But to then start to try to make it concrete and, and gospel or that you should align to my opinion more than the, the, this fleeting moment of expression that's come and gone like writing on water. Yeah. Um, um, we're seeing that in the in the movements that are appearing in in the world at the moment, where people are getting very upset by you not agreeing with their opinion. Yeah, this is to me. And, this and is this strange. is the root. The yeah, the root of it is just coming from the the misunderstanding of of the nature of mind. Did you think not, it not is understanding? Go on. Do you do you think it is the the kind of narcissism that is really cultivated in this society because you have to admit you know how many people are taking these selfies of themselves and they're considering themselves influencers because they could get people to follow them and i think it, it, it's this this kind of narcissism that you know you can't disagree with me and then they get married to these ideas and if these ideas are are not validated then you're attacking yeah. me 
on some level, when you see somebody taking a picture with their selfie, to me, it just they're just crying out for for the, the, they don't know who they are, and they're trying to find validation through an image of of through the the comments that will then come from the picture that has been taken. Yeah, and so you know, on that compassionate level, you look at it and say, um, it's a case of once you understand the nature of mind and the, the the fleeting movement of mind and the, to not land anywhere and, and allow yourself to to come into a shape yes you can express yourself into a shape and it, and enjoy the the full color of the rainbow of the elements and senses but to solidify it and then turn it into a uh i don't i don't a f- something that is that is just impermanent it's not tangible and so the western mind has a deep misunderstanding of this and the education of of you know what yoga teachers do and it's uh it's an uphill struggle to try and merge the the you could call it the eastern mindset but i i prefer to just call it the understanding of the nature of mind mm-hmm. to try to to show that actually all your thoughts feelings and emotions that you experience they're not real right but but they are there as an expression to enjoy and obviously some of those experiences of those thoughts feelings emotions are also painful but to be in that position where you don't you don't overly attach yourself to them or overly push away and have an aversion to them allowing whatever is to be in the moment um is something that i mean that's what i'm attempting to do to try and bring that so that this this um movement that we're seeing on in in the culture of people wanting you to align to their opinion otherwise i'm going to get deeply upset by you not listening to my opinion and it's just an opinion yeah it's not important well well, even i mean the proper way science is is done is through revision right you you conclude that this is the outcome of something you publish it in some scientific journal and then other scientists try to replicate your your study to see if this is true and then they cha- they learn some nuance some subtleties and they change this and it's not ever really set and it's just this continuous process and and i think it's kind of like what we were talking about before with this ego and depression and what is this depression is the attachment to these a collection of thoughts which we call the ego and the more attached you are to these thoughts the more you're going to suffer with depression and the more the deeper the depression is going to be and the same thing if you're attached to your ideas and you're attached to your beliefs so strongly that you can't let them go how happy is your life and how how peaceful is that mind and and you know, this is why we see all these people freaking out in public and all these people shooting up schools is because, one, they've had some psychological trauma be- to begin with, and then they were uh, locked up in their house. Their livelihood was taken away from many people, and now you put them back into public, and what do you think is going to happen? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. There's, they're, they're even more 
holding on to this belief because everything else outside of it is changing so fast that they're afraid to let go of it. And these individuals like yourself, and I put myself in that bracket, that are attempting to to bring an understanding of the nature of mind and an, an understanding of the emotional body and, and how to have the courage to tap into the the inherent deep trauma that exists in 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 the in the body of of the western mind may in a major way um and so it's i find it so important that we must keep coming together and, and not not moving in in a circle where it's it's competitive yeah you know let, let's really move as one to to resolve this deep um constellational trauma that exists in in the, the body and yeah. i keep bringing it back to the western mind because that's where the culture that i've grown up in and i see that yeah. but so many people talk to me about you know i i want to st- i want to, to move forward in my life but i'm scared to touch the trauma um and we go back to the sangha we go yeah. back to that is that is what will give you the courage to go through it, knowing that you've got many people as part of your team, mm-hmm. definitely your tribe that will, will that will support you in those steps. And and I think this is one of the the biggest aspects of the fallout uh, with the history, the recent history of Yogi Bhajan, is it ruined this community. You know, this is one thing that I really liked about Kundalini Yoga is, you know, I'm a person who's always kind of been an individual. You know, I spend a lot of time alone. I've moved uh, from country yeah. to country by myself. And, uh, you know, it's easy to to be isolated and, and to kind of walk into this community. And, you know, you go to the yoga festival every year and you see these people you've been seeing for, mm. you know, decades. And, and, and maybe you don't have, yeah, maybe you don't have deep conversations with them all the time but you just the see oh i see how this person has changed over the last couple of years it looks nice yeah. this you know you can see the beauty coming out in people's self-expression you can see you know that's one of the things i really enjoyed about on this an internet on an international level right, of course well. yeah and and when you compare yeah, this to other forms that. when you compare this to other forms of yoga this community didn't really exist it doesn't exist not to that extent and i think this is one of the biggest fallouts that i'm kind of in the middle of saying, okay, I don't want to let go of this community, but, you know, it's, it's, something has to change. You know, something has to, I, I don't know how this is going to really play out. Yeah. But it's it's one of the things that I think is, is I'm finding the most, um, the most problematic, at least in my experience, because this is something I, I enjoyed yeah. and, and I, I, you know, I, I don't know how much I'm enjoying it at this point and i i know there's a lot of people with mixed feelings there's people who immediately yeah. condemn it and and it's it's a it's a difficult thing you know because we can look I at i appreciate you i appreciate you trying to articulate it you know and and expressing that because it's something that it it, it is out there it is a yeah. a wound that that i've experienced from my friends that the fallout from it has been so uh, difficult and, and traumatic yeah and for for me it was the case of you know we worked with this this his this mission of of that we were going to be serving the aquarian age and serving 
humanity when it was going to get really tough. Mm. And then along comes COVID and it gets really tough. And just months before it got really tough, all the allegations came out. So it couldn't have come at the worst time when the world really needed it to be this kind of solidified expression of of community and light and and it um, and it it was falling apart it was yeah going through its its healing process i have faith in that it will i'm attempting to resurrect it in in the expression that is unfolding from my heart and mm. and ch- i'm changing the vocabulary i'm changing yeah. the the expression so it feels true to me and it's took me it's took me two and a half years to do that i didn't want to just come straight out and just perpetuate the the same thing it, it had to be no let's step, take a step back let's heal let's let's find a new way to share yeah, and this is one of the things that drew me to your your promotion of this training is okay. Look, this is someone who's been in this community for you know decades, and and uh, now they're they're looking at how do I start to personalize this with what I'm experiencing, and how do I share what I've experienced in a way that that is authentic and is is not clouded by whatever history or whatever is going on. Yeah. And so I have respect for this, you know, other than. I think many people are trying to find their way with it. And this is one thing that I really appreciated about your description of what this training was going to be. And and just that you're saying, okay, I want to try to do something and I want to take what I've learned. I want to articulate it with my sense of, of purpose, my vocabulary, my history. And so, yeah, I think this is something that we're going to see, you know, I think uh, a lot of fallout within this community, a lot of changes, and and uh, it's it's difficult. I mean, I think part of the problem we have to take on ourselves. You know, we idolize people, and and we do this not just yeah. yogis, but people in in societies. You know, they look at someone, and uh, you know, look at uh, Britney Spears. You know, she comes out and she's the hottest thing, and people are going to her concerts, and then everyone wants to take her picture and. Then we get tired of her and we then laugh when she starts to go crazy or when she has problems. And yeah. and it's like we want to build someone up, but once we see them build up too much, we want to see them fall. And not saying that this is the, the case. I mean, obviously, the behavior is, is unexcusable. It's, it's inconsistent with the teachings. You have to. No, underst- I understand what you mean. Yeah, you have to understand people are human. You know, they, they, I don't care if you're self-realized or not. I, I mean, look at Osho. Osho, I, I subscribe to all his his discourses. I love listening to them and his the way he articulates his his beliefs. But you look at some of the things that went on in his community. I mean, you, that you saw that documentary, that wild, wild country or whatever it was. Yeah, I see. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and you say, okay, um, you know, whenever you get communities, you get power trips. You get, uh, even if it yeah. isn't the leader, but uh, of course to the leader. And But that doesn't negate his teachings. And so this is one thing who, I've met many people who didn't know who Osho was and they saw that documentary before they ever heard of who he was. I said, you know, that documentary was a very well put together documentary. 
and it seemed pretty authentic. I, I don't th- I don't know anyone who was saying that this was a lie or was wrong, but it does not talk about all the positive things that he contributed, you know, from his teachings and all the people he's helped. And how can you discount that? And and this is the struggle, right? Is when especially when a person is not alive. If they're alive, you could say, okay, let's condemn them. I'm not going to their workshop. I'm not going to but when obviously whatever they were communicating in their teachings worked for so many people. So how do you discount this? How do you say, okay, well, because this person is has issues, has their own karma, how do we, you know, just then throw away every single thing that that person ever said? Yeah. And, and, and I mean, the, one of the one of the statements that you know Yogi Bhajan said about him being a postman. Mm-hmm. I'm just a postman, and I contemplated that, and I thought, have you ever had a postman come to your door? deliver you a letter and then come back and say I took the next day can I have my letter back please they don't do they they, they deliver the post and then they go and yeah. so the teachings are you know to make this this foolish conclusion that the teachings are yogi bhajan yeah you know they, they are alive and they come alive every time you sit down in the morning and, and engage with the practice. They're, they're, they're alive. So whoever is sitting and delivering the teachings, they are the teachings as taught by Amajit Singh or mm. as taught by Benjamin or as taught by whoever it is. That's, that's the reality. of. Yeah. I mean, you could say it's an opinion. But that's how I see it. That's how I see it. So the post has been delivered, and it is not come back. No one's coming back to collect the post and to take the parcel back. You you now have the post mm. and do with it what you wish. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw people the the moment all this news came out is they shaved their beards and stopped wearing a turban. And and my question was, who are you doing that for? You know, it, it, you should be doing things for yourself. You know, the reason I don't cut my hair is not because of someone told me to do this. It's because I said, maybe I heard them say it, but I said, this this works for me. I like the, the philosophy behind this, that I am, a, you know, a product of God, and this is how I was made, and why change how I was made? Why not try to live authentically? And, and this is what I why I do it. And if you're so easily influenced— and you have to change depending on other people's behavior, I think you need to kind of look at yourself a little more as well. And maybe this this also presented this for people is to say, well, how do I really take responsibility for my own actions? Or how do I do things for me and not for any teacher? And and I see this a lot. You know, when, I, when you go to some teachers, well, you know, when I was in India, people go to Muji or they go to Prem Baba or to these different gurus. Yeah. And you see the relationship that they they have. I even I remember being in a discourse uh, the sangha with uh, Muji, and some guy came in and said, "Hey, I've been coming to you for three years, and I still have problems in my life." And was mad at him. It's like you know he bought something <laughs> and he's got the receipt and he wants his money back. And 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 and, and I just said, "Wow, what 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 is going through people's minds that they think if I just." You know, you told me I would be fine and this and that. And and he would, got up in front of all these people and said this. 
and and uh, you know and this is how people think and it's it's surprising but this is how people think i feel so blessed to, to be in the, the sangha that i'm in here where you, you talk about the osho documentary mm. and there's a few people in the in the sangha who were actually there in oregon at the time oh wow when when osho was there and but i feel so it's it's such a gift to be in the in the presence of of Ganga Ganga Mira, because she doesn't let at any moment does she she never lets any projection stick mm-hmm. to her. She's like a, a samurai. So she's in in a way she's kind of like this kind of classical Zen uh, teacher where it she doesn't hit you, but it's kind of you know it's like that. It's like this yeah. strike where you kind of like don't you dare project your divinity your true nature onto me that you bring you you either bring me above yourself or mm-hmm. you bring yourself above me just meet me as together and it's been through the lockdown the lockdown in portugal was a lot less intense it seems from than mm-hmm. other countries so at some point we we were coming together for satsang and it, and it's been an absolute godsend to to be in that environment to to be you know absolutely crystal clear on i am that yeah and i will not let anything appear and project to another individual that makes them either higher than myself or lower than myself and right. obviously that's not a I'm I'm not perfect at that, but I am very clear about seeing it and and aware of it, and that's that's the gift that, that Ganga has brought to me, um, just at the right time too, you know, when all the allegations had had appeared. Yeah, I mean, this is when when I was writing about uh, you know this the lockdowns and this type of stuff and, and and this was what I was saying it's all about this communication you're talking about these projections but these projections are communication whether it's verbal communication or the attitude that they're communicating and the first thing people would do is start to attack me and not the facts that I was presenting and I would I would call them out on it I would say I, I say you can debate me with the facts I love debate it's okay I I and I'll admit when I'm wrong. But when you attack me, I'm not going to allow this. You know, it's, it's you're you're projecting onto me, and you're trying to manipulate me emotionally. And it's interesting how people even reacted to this. They said, "Oh, you're being a bad person." I go, well, "Why am I being a bad person? Because I'm not taking your emotional, you know, manipulation." Well, in a way, you are being a bad person. Yeah. If you take if you take the true meaning of what a person is, this kind of conglomerate of emotions and and thoughts and feelings that aren't real yeah do, do you understand what i mean so yeah, you're, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah you're actually you're not being a good person you're actually trying to be the authentic version of the self so yeah, yeah you're being a bad person <laughs> you're yeah. not doing well at, at presenting a person yeah i'm not, I'm not true nature i'm not saying what they want to hear and and yeah. uh and it's interesting because, it, yeah, it's just interesting. What I really looked at is it's a, it's just really 
we have poor communication and, and not just communication of what we're saying, and, and, but it's how we're projecting our thoughts, how we're projecting our ideals onto people. We need to really learn how to communicate with ourselves so we don't have these projections, so we're not attaching my trauma onto this person and my trauma onto that person, because you may have been a victim, but if you don't look at what happened in this situation that got you to this position, you're not going to really understand it. Not saying that the victim is responsible for their victimization, but you have to understand things. You know, I had a, I had a guy come to a workshop of mine and in India and he came to a workshop and then I got an email message from him. He was following me on Facebook and I got an email message and he was telling me how over the past year he got ripped off of about 15,000 euros because he got scammed from some people trying to sell crystals in India to him with this big scam that they did. And, and he goes, yeah, I'm just looking for someone to talk to because I counsel people. And he goes, you know, can we do yeah. a Skype call and you can counsel me? I say, yeah, you can, you know, my fee is this, you can pay me through or through PayPal or whatever. And uh, he wrote back, said, oh, I thought we'd do it just as friends. And, and I said, well, one, I'm not your friend. You came to a workshop of mine, and, and I know you as a student, and I know you through this. And the other thing is you haven't learned your lesson from being scammed. The reason you got scammed is because you're looking for something that out of nothing. You're looking for a big return for not doing anything. And these people knew it. And so that you, it was imbalance. And it was an imbalance with this, this wanting to get something. And and then they took you advantage of you because you made yourself open to this. Not saying that it's your fault, but but you should have responsibility that you put yourself in a situation because you were you made yourself vulnerable because you're trying to get something for nothing. The same way you're trying to get something from me for nothing. You know there has to be an even exchange. I'm not going to take advantage of you, but th- you haven't learned your lesson. And so this this is what, how did you take it. <laughs> I don't think he responded. He just said, okay. But, but, just you know, it's interesting when I hear people who were victims and not, not discounting it. They were, they, they received, you know, some, some, but the way they talk about it, they were trying to get something for nothing. You see a lot of, a lot of people who, okay, you know, I want to, I admire this person. This person is a very good looking person. I want to be in this person's company because of what they can give to me. And then you make yourself, because you wonder how, how can you open yourself up to this abuse if you weren't looking for something, not saying that it's your fault, this person shouldn't have done it, but you, you have to make sure you're not making yourself vulnerable. When we idolize these people or when we do this type of thing, we start to then look for what we can get from them because they're so much better than we are. How can this person give me what I want? And I think this is what happened with Osho, what happened with Yogi Bhajan and all all these people. I mean, it's that classic kind of teaching from Buddha, isn't it? Where he said, you know, question everything. Question everything I say. Every teaching I give you, question it. Pull it apart. See if it works. Don't just take it as, as gospel. and that's really important to to have that you know that that inquiry that in that integrity of of your your 
your mental kind of dissection of of something that comes to you and or emotional as too and just taking the time to is this right for me um and if it's not then it's okay you don't need to accept it as a teaching if it doesn't resonate but that doesn't mean you then still can't go back to that individual and you know whatever sit at their feet and and be with them um and being with you know being around ganga she is like the she is a classical example of everything that a guru is not mm. on every level and she would be the first to admit that but that's what's so incredibly refreshing about being around her is that she annihilates all these concepts of of what you think a spiritual teacher should be and that can be quite painful for some because the i i find that a lot of people want to have spiritual teachings delivered in such a way where it fits the projection that they have of what an enlightened being is mm. and, and and that is quite dangerous in a way because the the truly realized mind or enlightened being whatever however you want to phrase it is is very normal is is it's a very sobering re, re, realization that they they're actually just quite normal um and 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 so then therefore you can then meet them at that same level because they're the same as you they they they're not this huge projection that that we we want our spiritual teacher to be and so then in a way we end up being the eternal devotee mhm and and you can go through you know lifetimes being the eternal devotee or do you actually want to become or be your true self the realized self and make that decision to be courageous enough to say i am that yeah yeah i think this this is one one of the the biggest things is you look at vipassana right i i use this a lot, I incorporate this a lot into my teaching, yeah. is the whole process of this is that your body is, you know, trillions of, of atoms vibrating so fast that they appear to to be solid. <laughs> and what happens is that you perceive something from one of the senses, whether you see it, feel it, taste it, smell it, even think it, and you react to this. I like this or I don't like this. I have a version for this or I have desire for this. And then that psychology changes the vibration in your body, depending on which aspect of psychology is in different parts of the body, right? If it's anger, it's in the heart area. If it's whatever it is, if it's fear, it's in the, the navel center area <clears throat> or, or the, the lower chakras. So basically, your physical projection is a projection of your psychology. And you look exactly the way you are. And when people say you can't judge someone by the way they look, this is not right. The problem is that when we look at people, we project our own psychology onto them, and so we don't see them accurately. But if you were to take away all your projections, people are very easy to, to understand by looking at them. In fact, there's people who can look at the structure of your eyes and your ears and the relationship and know aspects of your personality very well. And I, I've met people who can do this, but we all can do this because you are this projection of your psychology. It's just the, the, that 
when you project your psychology onto others, you don't have a clear depiction of who they are. And we do this with our ideas of what we want a teacher to be, what we want uh, this person to tell us. I mean, I've counseled people, and when they don't hear what they want, they get angry. I've had this happen. I've had, I remember I had, I counseled a, a woman who owns a, a yoga studio, and a year later I came back uh, to her town. And I said, oh, how are you? She goes, oh, I, I did what you said. I left my husband. And I go, I've never said any to anyone ever that they need to leave anyone. I mean, I, I, this, I've never even told someone they should break up with a partner. I would never tell anyone to do anything yeah. like this. But this is what she wanted to hear. And so whatever I said in that counseling, she projected onto that. And, and then you start to say, okay, well, this is how people project. And, and you, you see this. And, and, and it, just, it, it doesn't it doesn't just have to be in a, a teacher student relationship mm -hmm. as well it's it's, it's in a, just any relationship right where you project and then it, someone doesn't fit that projection and then when they don't abide by it it's deeply painful yeah and it can either it can either lead to resentment or anger or but if you're if you can recognize that immediately and then take responsibility and 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 grieve, yeah. There there is a grief in that sometimes. There was a, I found that myself there was a tremendous amount of grieving needed during um, during the lockdown and for the the following two years from the from March twenty twenty. There's tremendous amount of grieving, and I don't think it was just to do with um, the situation with Yogi Bhajan. I think it was a a collective. Um, transformation that the planet was going through of of letting go of so many things and um and i you know i i, I contracted covid right at the beginning when it was mm. in its first form yeah. so that that had a that had a huge effect too on on the, the lungs and, and the grieving mm. process yeah i mean we we do this in in our, our relationships right this is this is we project our deficiency and love onto someone else and we, yeah. we, the ways that we don't love ourselves, we project onto the partner and have expectations that we're going to receive it from them. And when we don't receive it from them, then our ego is hurt. And we call it a heartache or a broken heart, but it's really yeah. just the ego. And it's because we're projecting the, our deficiency onto them, expecting them to fulfill it. And we do this all the time. I mean, how many times in any relationship you have or even not even just in a relationship, but the way you look at society or, or your your culture, you say, oh, I always thought that was their problem. Now I realize this is my problem. <laughs> I mean, it, I, I, I do this all the time. You know, it's a constant taking back these projections going, oh, I thought I was this way because of my father or my mother. No, this is because of me. What am I doing? Or this is because of, you know, not because of what's happening in my company or in the politics. It's it's my projection, and I have to take ownership of it and, and understand why I'm creating this projection and what I'm looking to protect using this. Yeah. And then turn to the, you know, the deep, like, Zazen meditation or meditative practice or, or the, the thing I love the most because— I love it so much because it's something that you can do in the waking state. You don't mm -hmm. need to just be on your yoga mat or whatever. It's self-inquiry. 
because when you can appear and you just say, "Who is this? Yeah. Who who is this that is saying this nonsense?" Yeah, just that simple question. Who who is this now? And then listen and and feel and 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 recognize through the awareness that it's just a a fleeting illusion. But then, if it, I find that sometimes it can disappear quickly. But if it tends to keep coming back a lot, the same kind of construct, then it needs a it needs a, a deeper meditative look at. I find you know where you sit with it and, and really go into it on a deeper level, and then use. Don't be afraid to feel the emotion of it and give it freedom. Give the emotion freedom to express itself. Not trying to rid yourself of the emotion but to give it freedom of expression to to course through your body and you know make you allow you to cry and and be vulnerable and 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 integrate it sometimes the lifestyles that we lead don't allow us the the depth of or the time to to feel it enough to allow it to percolate and bubble up so that it's given the space to feel and so that you, in a way you have to design your life to give it give yourself time to do that and uh, you know I'm, i'll say this from shiv you remember shiv charan singh oh, yeah. uh, had a one a wonderful uh, um relationship with him years ago I, i'm not so much in touch with him now but i remember him saying to me you know when you first awaken just simplify your life that's it yeah, you've got to try and continually simplify your life, so that the awakening can find itself a space for it to express itself in you. Yeah, this this is what I like about the the vipassana training is it's training you to tune into the sensations within the framework of the body to understand what is happening and what are these vibrations is emotions, the feelings, the, everything is a vibration, every movement, every thought, and when you have these emotions these feelings is to allow them to to happen but don't react to them observe them because the reaction is what what keeps you tied to the behavior to the karma but if you can experience it without reacting to it find that neutral space then this is the whole process of vipassana then it lets go of this this attachment because in this in this meditation you're sitting for 10 hours a day and this, and you're going through the whole body millimeter by millimeter, looking for all the sensations. And these sensations are the emotional projections or the psychological projections in the framework of the body. And so, when you feel a pain in a particular spot, this isn't a, a an emotion that's that's there, uh, some trauma, some some experience. And the way you react to it is the way you react to how it was when you had this psychological issue. And so it's quite interesting, you know, when there was, I remember getting to some pain in my, my the center of my back right near in the heart chakra. And yeah. I started to experience this as getting angry at this pain and getting frustrated with it and go, oh, this is, and, and then the way I was reacting to it and the way I was dealing with it is the way I deal with my anger and my frustration. But if you say, okay, I can feel this vibration, I'm not reacting to it psychologically, and at such a, a subtle level, find that that uh, that shunya, that neutral spot. 
And when you do that, the vibration that's so painful just turns into a vibration, and then it dissipates. And this is how you let go of the psychological karma or the, the trauma, the karma through the body. And, and, uh, and it's quite powerful because then you start to see the reaction you have and the way you react. Even this is what Buddha talked about, about being mindful. And people thought, okay, when you're eating, to be mindful, you're eating. And, and that wasn't really the entirety of it. The, the entirety of it was the sensations that happen as you're eating. And you'll notice, you know, the anticipation in the gut or the anxiety or whatever is happening. This is what you're supposed to be mindful, not just that you're walking, or, but what are the sensations in the framework of the body as you're doing this behavior? Because that's what will tell you how you're, you're reacting internally. And then from that, you see how you manage those feelings in your behavior. And this becomes your habit patterns. Because every time you feel this, oh, I act this way. Whenever I feel nervous or scared, I do this. Whenever I feel hurt, I do this. And that's the reaction to trying to manage those sensations. And so that's why, like Vipassana, you're looking at it without take, taking away all the the complexities of, you know, oh, it happened in your childhood. Forget about that. It's happening right now, the sensation. How are you reacting to it? And this is the same thing I like oh. about Papa G is he was always, who's having that thought? And the person is, I want to go fight. I want to sit with myself. But where do you have to go? Do you need a plane? Do you need a car? Do you need, how are you going to get there? And it's just very direct. And this is the way I kind of see things. I didn't particularly resonate with going back to the, the Kundalini kind of Kundalini yoga journey. I didn't particularly resonate with the, the level one, two, and three. I didn't mm -hmm wasn't so keen on the description of having levels yeah but yeah the 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 first was uh the other way to describe it would be instruct the practitioner and teacher mm -hmm. and so the so-called level three or teacher module the uh, training um part of that training was that you had to do a 31 minute meditation for for like three years or for a thousand days and I remember feeling into what meditation to do, and I didn't want to do anything really that had a technique, because I'd been, I'd been Mujified, <laughs> you yeah. know. I'd, I'd been with Muji, and he was kind of like coming with this vibe of that you don't need a technique. But but then on the same hand, I was kind of like resonating with the teachings of of Milarepa. Where he said, "How someone asked him, how do you attain enlightenment?" And he said, "Practice, practice, practice." So you've got this extreme polarity of there's no technique to do, and yet this great, you know, Tibetan saying, yeah. "Saying practice, practice, practice." So I searched through the teachings, and I decided to do uh, one minute breath as the practice. So I did, this was something where it was like. There was there was the the most minimal thing I could do, and I could also do it on a plane because I was traveling a lot. Um, but then it got to the point after doing it for a long period of time that there was still someone or some identity that was engaging with the cycle of twenty seconds hold, twenty seconds exhale. 20 seconds in there there was still some body there doing it as a technique mm. 
So um, when COVID came and the, the lockdown came and, and the ability, um, or, or rephrase that, the, the lack of ability to breathe properly that I had, I had to completely surrender to this, to this feeling of the breath. And that's when I really discovered the power of stillness and that this going back to what we're saying about allowing the trauma to come through and the emotion to be felt, it will only reveal itself if you are still. Yeah, exactly. You allow yourself to be really still. And so that, and it's not a forced stillness, you know, you're not kind of like locking yourself in a posture, but try to be really relaxed in the stillness and, and let the breath breathe itself. And that really began a whole new um, healing process for me and, a, and an Im immense grieving for, for many things that I can't even understand where the grief was coming from. You know, to I try and articulate it is, is pointless. It was just needing to come out. Um, whether it was mine or whether it was collective, it doesn't really matter. But mm. that was a, a, that's been a, a huge turning point for me. And I, I now struggle to go back to meditations with technique. I, yeah. I find I have to be with just the absolute stillness of, of, of just being. Yeah, I'm the same way. Uh, you know, once I started really getting into Vipassana meditation where you're sitting and it allows you to do this type of meditation for 10 hours a day and you're sitting there and then I would go to the festival and they're doing white tantric yoga. I I I couldn't do it. I said this is this is, I I I don't want to look into someone's eyes at this moment. I don't want to to be moving. I want to just be still. And and I I just had to stop doing it because it wasn't working for me anymore. And you know I'll do pranayama. I'll do this breathing and and and. But I do the vipassana meditation just because I, I love this process of really tuning into what's happening in the moment and really strengthening your awareness of the subtle. And that's all it is, right? Is the whole process of life is going from the coarse to the subtle and, and uh, the most subtle vibration being that of God. And so you're tuning yourself in. You know, the beginning of the vipassana, you're just feeling the sensations on the the top of the skin, but after a while, you're feeling them deep inside the body and the organs. You're feeling everything. I do feel when there is something arising uh, emotionally, and uh, I do recognize the need for tapas. You know, I do recognize there's there's a need for some pitta. There's a need for the fire to burn it because. It, that's what will burn it. It's fire. It's, that's the alchemy. So I do still, I know the Kriyas to reach for from the toolkit. Yeah. You know, Sakriya is just one of those ones that is such a, so, so supremely powerful to, to go back to. Um, and the, the fine array of different um, practices that you can choose from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting to see how people are going to to move forward with all these teachings. You know, you already see that, okay, they're not doing white tantric yoga anymore, and I don't know how they're going to bring this back because, you know... I think they're going for the 21 stages. Yeah, for this year. I think that's... 
but that's because oh, okay. they haven't they haven't figured out how to bring it back because you you can't you deny that it's not an effective form of meditation i mean i've had very you know over a 10 year 15 year period i've had some great experiences with it hmm. and so you can't deny these experiences i've i've come to some understandings that were very powerful in in this med Absolutely. these meditations so yeah. you can't discount that that it doesn't have some effect, but then how do you incorporate, you know, the, the process of teaching this? And and this yeah, is there's what, a lot of there's a lot of polytricks. And and this and this is what I think they haven't figured out how to do it. Who wants to look at a picture of Yogi Bhajan explaining the meditation and hear the voice and 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 then if they change this, then what happened to all the years they're saying Yogi Bhajan said not to change this. Now they're changing it, and and so it, I, I think they've kind of put themselves in a box too. By the way, they they've done all this. So who who knows how this is going to work out? It will be interesting to see. But the the Shodama vision is deeply in, rooted in this understanding of the, trying to feel into the individual who you're you're communicating with and, and what is it that they need what what mm. what career is suited to their body type to their dosha type as I, i've also noticed over the years that uh, on the teacher trainings that when you you don't understand your dosha type you can go off on huge tangents of practices that, that are completely unnecessary and actually quite harmful to your your Ayurvedic dosha type. Yeah. So but that's one of the things that I, I try to establish very early on, that people understand who they are fundamentally in the physical form as a, as a dosha type. And then you, you then move forward with that understanding and you choose practices that serve your makeup. So in a way, I hope that it will kind of, It'll speed up the the evolution of and not take off, not be taking side, you know, alleyways where you're getting to a dead end and working with a practice that doesn't work for you. And so, this training that you're doing is going to incorporate yoga. It's going to incorporate music, chanting, Ayurvedic, uh, de Ayurvedic I, detox. Okay, and so uh, it's a very holistic the, way. Into the, yeah, going into the autumnal detoxing, the pitta out of the body, and. And how, how long? Is, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go on. How long uh, how, is the the training going to be for? Uh, it's it's a ten week process. It's okay. A ten week process, but but that's just that's just the initial ten weeks. But from mm -hmm. from that onwards, that there is still a uh, a connection for a period of time of thirty days afterwards, and then hopefully you can come back in or even stay stay with the the monthly subscriptions that are, that are offered for the morning practice. I'm trying to create, I think it will most probably be around about November time. Okay. Um, it's, I'm, I'm entitling it the, the Shudama Ashram. Mm -hmm. So it'll be uh, lots of teachings of, of the practices in one place. So you, you can enter into the ashram and then knowing your dosha type, you can then engage with the different practices. Great. And when is the first training beginning? The first training begins on the 29th of August. Okay. And, and, how... and at the moment, at the moment, I think there's, uh, I think there's six, six places left. 
Okay, and how do people get a hold of you if they want to participate or know more about the training? Or um, if you if you come on and message me on Facebook, um, mm. there's there's lots of posts up at the for the coming week around this. I'm, I'm going into that kind of promotional time. Okay, so just connect to me direct message on Facebook as Benjamin Steele. The, All right, I'll put the link in in the. I'll put the yeah, link in please. the episode description so people can contact you and uh, yeah. And then they can learn more about your training, participate in it. I uh, highly recommend it. As you can tell from the conversation, we had a really nice conversation. Uh, and if you yeah. uh, fit with what we spoke about, maybe you'll like the training, listen to his music, the music, uh, your, your voice, you have such a, a soothing voice. I think I, when I, I met you, I said, you know, you have this voice that really, it has compassion in it and, and you feel this in your singing. You. And so we'll finish the episode with one of your songs. So please stay tuned after this uh, podcast, so after this conversation, and you can listen to one of the beautiful songs. And how do they find your music if they want to purchase the music? Uh, the In a few weeks' time, um, it'll be wonderful if people could do this. In a few weeks' time, my website will be live. Which okay. is uh, kundalions dot com k u n d a l i o n z dot com. Okay, and I'll put the link in the description. You can purchase the music there. Otherwise, it's on all the other platforms. Okay, Spotify. But it's nice for the artist to, of course, to buy be it rewarded as, for, for, for the, of course. The work. Yeah. 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 I think this is the way everything is moving these days. I know a lot of comedians are doing this. A lot of uh, you know, people who sell music say, okay, I'll sell it on my site. And, and this is, you know, much better than all these corporations don't get their hands on <laughs> on the profits. But hey, thanks for joining me today. We had a great conversation. I look forward yeah, to having joy. another one. Joy, uh, we'll have to do it again. Maybe we'll pick a topic or some theme or maybe when your Love website too. is up, we come back on and we'll have a conversation or something. Yeah. And uh, for all the listeners, yeah, stay tuned and listen to some of his, his music. I know you'll love it uh, like I do. Enjoy it. I think I there's even know. some videos on YouTube you can see of him performing. And uh, all right. Thank you. Yes. One more. Thank you.
ਗਿਆਨ ਗੀਤ ਬੰਦਾ ਚੱਕਰ ਚੱਕਰ Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the program. And thanks to Benjamin for the lovely conversation. For those of you who want to get into contact with him, the links will be in the episode description. Please support him, support his music, and support the podcast. Please rate, review, share it with a friend, make a donation, help support the expenses of the program. Go to the storyofmepodcast.com on the contact page. You can donate. You can send me a message, ask me a question. And until the next time, from the podcast that awakens your inner power through awareness and understanding, allow love to be the current that carries your words and actions. Why, Guru, why, Guru, why?